All right. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Theological Equipping Class. Let me tell you what we're talking about today. So this semester, we're basically going over two big topics. One, we are calling the Christian life, meaning now that we're saved, now that we're loved, now that we're adopted, now that we're already cool with God, what does the Christian life look like? And so that's what we're talking about for the first half of the semester. That's why we've been talking about things like sanctification. God already sees us as perfectly holy, and now we grow to become practically what we've already been declared to be. That's what we've talked about the last two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about in what sense should Old Testament Mosaic law play into the life of a Christian? Okay, this is a very, very difficult question, and so I want to give a few caveats. I'm not sure that the position I'm going to support today is right. I think it's right in my studies, in my reading. I think that it's right. It is, however, a position that is not the majority position in church history. And so anytime uh, we do that, we just want to be cautious. Uh, Everything in church history that's happened is not necessarily correct, but if you're going against the weight of thousands of years of godly men and women thinking about things, you better have good scriptural evidence for doing so. And so I'm going to present a uh, position today that is a little bit nuanced. After all, we are Baptist, and so I have to make some sort of of change to traditional covenantal theology. Uh, Also, I just want to say that this is uh, not not the official position or something like that like that of Parkway. Parkway doesn't have an official position of this. If you look on our statement of faith, there's nothing about this official position of the Mosaic Law or something like that. I think the view that I'm going to support today would be probably supported by uh, most of the elders, but not necessarily all. So, so please don't think that uh, if you have some other view, you can't be here at Parkway or something like this. This is not a major doctrine. This is not like the Trinity or the full deity of Christ or anything like that. Uh, you can be a godly person. There are good godly churches who believe other things than this, and they really love Christ, and that's totally fine. So this is a view. I think it's the right view. I will be judged for every careless word spoken. Teachers will be judged more harshly, says the Bible. So this will be a lot of fun this morning. So let me tell you why, uh, let me tell you why this is interesting. So what we're going to be talking about today are some of the following questions, okay? How does the Old Testament relate to us today? How do the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together? You'll notice as you transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is both continuity, there are some things that seem to stay the same, but there's also discontinuity. With the coming of Christ, you have quite a bit that becomes new. Do Christians have to follow the Mosaic law? If so, which parts? The civil law, the moral law, the ceremonial law? If you say, no, Zach, we're not under the Mosaic law, okay, so if not, can we follow some of it and not all of it? Are we free to just pick and choose which Old Testament commands to follow, okay? Do Christians have to keep a Sabbath, pay a 10% tithe, avoid getting tattoos, avoid trimming the edges of their beard? Uh, What are we supposed to do? Jonathan Edwards, the uh, greatest theological mind to come out of North America, says there is perhaps no part of divinity attended with so much intricacy uh, and wherein orthodox theologians do so much differ as stating the precise agreement and differences between the two eras of Moses and Christ, meaning the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? So, this is tricky. The reason it's tricky is because people want to go to extremes. They will either say, we have to keep the Old Testament Mosaic law the same way that we keep New Testament commands. That becomes absolutely wrong, absolutely bad, and dangerous. Or what they'll do is they'll hold up their Bible and they'll like take a pair of scissors and they'll like cut out three-fourths of their Bible and just toss out their Old Testament as if that doesn't matter. That's not a good extreme either. There is is an amount of continuity and discontinuity, and so that's what we're going to try and uh, keep in balance today. So before I do, let me just define a few terms. The phrase Old Covenant 
is not the same as when we mean Old Testament. Okay, now Jeff uh, made a joke earlier that technically those things, just the words mean the same thing. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, regardless of how you're using it for your Bible. The Old Covenant is the covenant that is made with Moses and the people of Israel. That's different than the rest of the Old Testament, which includes the Psalms and the prophets and these kind of things. The Mosaic Law is also different than the Old Testament, okay? The Mosaic Law is just one small portion of the Old Testament. So if you think of the Old Testament as like uh, a big rectangle, the Mosaic Law is like this, this little section here. So just because Christ has fulfilled the Mosaic Law, it doesn't mean we throw out the rest of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is going to tell us who God is, and it's going to prophesy Christ, and it's going to tell us the character of God and his attributes and all these other kinds of things, and so that's where we want to be careful. So here's what I've done to try to make a very difficult subject as simple as possible. I've given a really big convoluted definition, and the entire class, we're just going to work through that definition and explain what we do and don't mean. Sound good? So here is the convoluted definition for your listening pleasure. Christians, being no longer under the binding jurisdiction of the unified Mosaic law, are now under the jurisdiction of commands mentioned in the New Testament, either explicitly or by logical implication. While no longer bound by Mosaic law, the Old Testament is still Scripture, and commands related to loving God and others are still relevant for Christian morality today as they provide guiding principles, patterns, and wisdom for life and godliness. Okay? Basically, what I'm trying to do in that definition is two things. To say, we're not under the Old Testament Mosaic law as far as these binding regulations, but also there's a lot of benefit to looking at what those regulations are so you know the heart of God and how to serve others and love God. That's basically what I'm trying to do. So let's break down each part of this definition. Let's look at the first part here. Christians being no longer under the binding jurisdiction of the, what's the word I've put there? Unified Mosaic law. Let me tell you why this is really important, okay? Within the Reformed tradition, which is the tradition where we stand here at Parkway, <clears throat> going back to John Calvin, it has been popular to divide the Old Testament commands into three different types of commands, moral, civil, and ceremonial, okay? A moral command is something like, and I've included a few examples here, a moral command is something like the prohibition against murdering, okay? That is a moral thing. If you break that, you have been immoral. Moral law has to do with ethical commands, commands on how to live your life, Okay? You also have civil commands. An example of a civil command is the injunction to stone those who commit certain sins, okay? To stone those, for example, who commit adultery. Civil law has to do with political and societal commands. And then an example of a ceremonial command is the charge to offer particular sacrifices. Ceremonial law has to do with religious and liturgical commands. So going back to John Calvin, basically what you have in the Reformed tradition is a lot of people saying, we are no longer under the ceremonial commands. We don't have to offer sheep today. We don't have to not wear certain kinds of fabric today. That was just Old Testament stuff. Now that Christ has come, we don't have to do that. We're also not under civil commands, okay? We don't have to stone those who commit adultery or whatever it might be. But, and this is what Calvin will say, is that we are under the moral commands of the Old Testament, that those last uh, into eternity, that we are still bound by those things. Now, what they're doing when they make this distinction is they're really saying you're under a third of the Mosaic law. You're under part of the Mosaic law, a third of it, not the other two-thirds. Christ has fulfilled those, but you still have to fulfill to some extent these requirements to be obedient to this, not for salvation, but to walk in holiness and righteousness, okay? The Westminster Confession of Faith, one of the most important standards for Reformed Protestants, states this explicitly, so I've included this here for you, okay? Look what it says about the three different types of Old Testament law commands. 
Besides this law, commonly called moral, there's the idea of a moral law, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel as a church under uh, age ceremonial laws, there's the other one, containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, suffering, and benefits, and partially holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties, all which ceremonial laws are now abrogated under the New Testament. So basically he says this, and the Westminster Confession of Faith says, basically there's three types of law under the Mosaic Law, moral, civil, and ceremonial. And the first thing it says is we are not under the ceremonial law, okay? Then it's going to talk about civil. To them also, as a body politic, all right, think of a state, think of, a, you know, a legal kind of stuff. He gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obligating in, uh, under any now, further than the general equity thereof may require. Meaning, they were also under these civil laws, but when Israel, since Israel is no longer a nation and God's people are those who have faith in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile in the church, those have also passed away. But then look what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. The moral law does forever bind all, as well justified persons as others, to the obedience thereof. And that, not only in regard of the matter contained in it, but also in respect to the authority of God the Creator who gave it. Neither does Christ in the Gospels in any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation. Okay? So the reason I tell you that is when you're talking about the Old Testament Mosaic Law, this is the most common pattern you're going to see. We're still under the moral law, but we're not under the civil and we're not under the ceremonial. Okay? I don't think that that is right. Let me tell you a few reasons why I don't think that that is right. Number one, the Bible doesn't allow you to make this distinction. The civil, moral, and ceremonial are inextricably linked. For example, are the following infractions civil, moral, or ceremonial? Let's pick one here. So I've included one, not keeping the Sabbath. If you were to break that and were not to keep the Sabbath, have you broken a moral, a civil, or a ceremonial law in the Old Testament? Yes, all. You've broken all of them, right? You've broken a moral law because you've disobeyed one of the Ten Commandments. You've rebelled against God. You've broken a civil law. It was illegal to work on the Sabbath in Israel. And then guess what you have to do because of your sin? You have to have a sacrifice made for you, ceremonial. You can't split them up like that. When you break one, you break the other two. What about eating pork? Civil, moral, or ceremonial? All still again, all right? All still again, because you've committed a sin because you've eaten pork, that's uh, moral. You've broken the law, it's illegal in Israel to eat pork, and now you have to, you're unclean. Now you have to offer a sacrifice in these kind of things because there's the ceremonial. What about committing adultery? Is that moral, civil, or ceremonial? Oh, you got it now, all right? Everyone had it. After the first one, <laughs> I thought by the second one, but now by the third, we've got it, okay? We've got it by the third. All of them. When you commit adultery, you break the moral law, but guess what? You also would be stoned for adultery in the Old Testament, so you've broken a civil law. You get capital punishment executed by the people under the guise of the state, uh, and also it's a ceremonial law. There has to be uh, atonement made for you. So the first thing I want you to see is you cannot split up which of these commands are moral, civil, and ceremonial because in the Old Testament and in Jewish thinking, they all go together. They all go together, okay? Christ did not just die to fulfill two-thirds of the Mosaic Law. He died to fulfill all of the Mosaic Law on your behalf. It's not just that he uh, didn't eat pork to be a good Jew and keep the Mosaic Law. He also didn't commit adultery, and he also didn't murder, and he also didn't do all these other moral commands so that that morality might be seen as ours only in Christ, not because of ourselves, Number two, in the Bible, the Mosaic law is seen as one unified whole. It's all or nothing. You are either under the whole law or you are not under it at all. You're never under just part of it. Okay, let me give you a few passages that teach this, all from the New Testament saying this. 
James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Think of the Mosaic law as like a chain. How many links do you have to break to break a chain? Just one. You don't have to break every individual link. You just break one link and you've broken the whole chain. That's how the Old Testament law is seen. It's one unified whole. It's not that I can just be under some of it but not others. I'm not just under some links but not these broken links over here. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, okay? In the Old Testament and then again in the New, you are under the entire Mosaic law. If you break any of it, you are under a curse. Again, it's all or nothing. You can't divide it into three parts. You can't divide it into sections. Galatians 5.3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law, okay? Circumcision is kind of this, uh, it's kind of the baptism of the Old Testament. It's kind of this entry into the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, because the law is all or nothing, nothing, if you want to go be circumcised as a Jew so that you're not persecuted in the first century, well, then you've got to keep all of the Mosaic law. You can't just keep some of it. If you're going to take the mark of being a Jew, you've got to do all the Jewish things, which is the Mosaic law. He sees the entire Mosaic law as one unified whole. Okay, so I want you to say this, and this is something that is kind of different than most uh, Reformed theologians would hold, that I don't think that this traditional distinction between moral, civil, and ceremonial holds. I think that Christ has fulfilled all of the Mosaic law on your behalf, the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial, so you are not under its jurisdiction. Now, does that mean we can do whatever we want? No, but we'll get to that in just a second. We'll get to that in just a second, okay? Second part of this definition, let's look at that first line again. Christians being no longer under the binding jurisdiction of the unified Mosaic law, okay? Here's why I've underlined binding jurisdiction here. What I'm saying is, if you are a Christian today, you are not bound to keep the regulations mentioned under the Old Testament Mosaic law. Those 613-ish commands or however many there are in the Mosaic law, I think that number actually goes back to Spinoza, Uh, the 613 commands or so in the Mosaic law, you are not bound by that. What does that mean? Does it just mean you're not under them as a curse? No, what I mean is you do not have to keep the regulations mentioned under the Mosaic law. Now, some of those commands will be mentioned in the New Testament, so you do have to keep them, but you keep them for a different reason. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want you to see the strong language that the Bible uses on this, okay? Let's look together here, first of all, at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 21. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is, for the purposes of evangelism, he is a cultural chameleon. When he's hanging out with Cowboys fans, he loves the Cowboys. When he's hanging out with Redskins fans, he loves the Redskins. When he's hanging out with Jews, he acts as though he's a Jew. When he's hanging out with the Gentiles, he'll have a pork sandwich. He hangs out with the Gentiles. He adjusts areas of his life, not sinning. He's still under the law of Christ, he says, meaning I can't disobey Christ. But on issues that are not sin, he adjusts his tactics to live missionally so that people might hear the gospel. But here's what he says. He says, when I'm hanging out with Jews, I act as one under the law, meaning I'm not going to eat pork in front of my Jewish friends. I'm going to keep a Sabbath in front of my Jewish friends. And then he says, not because I have to, not because I'm bound by the Mosaic law, but just for the purposes of evangelism. Now, he goes on to clarify, I can't just do anything that I want. I'm still under the law of Christ. I still have to obey the teaching of Christ and the apostles, but I'm not under the Mosaic law. 
So let me give you my thoughts real quick on messianic synagogues. Everybody know what a messianic synagogue is? It's basically a uh, synagogue that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. If they are doing a bunch of Jewish things just for the purposes of evangelism, that's totally fine. Many of them, though, are doing a bunch of Jewish things because they think that they should or that they have to, that it's more fully God's will to also keep these Old Testament regulations. And I would say that that is absolutely false, okay? The Apostle Paul is fine keeping elements of the Mosaic Law for the purposes of evangelism, but not because he's actually under the law. Notice that the Bible explicitly says he is not one bound by those regulations under the law. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, in context meaning Mosaic Law. There's another reference to you not being under the law. Hebrews 8.13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The author of Hebrews will say that the new covenant is so great, and it is a different covenant. It is a, quote, better covenant to the author of Hebrews that, uh, that it does make the first one obsolete and it's ready to pass away. What is the new covenant? It's having the Spirit. It's following Christ. It's following the commands of the apostles. The Old Testament was great. The Mosaic law is great. But now that Christ has come, trying to go back to the Mosaic law is a, uh, is a problem. Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Acts 15, 28 through 29. Let me tell you why Acts 15 is important. The first church council we have in church history isn't Nicaea or it isn't Chalcedon or isn't one of these things. The first church council we see is actually in the book of Acts. It's this council at Jerusalem, and here's the question they're trying to answer, okay? A bunch of Gentiles are getting into the church, and this is the question they're trying to answer. Do these Gentiles have to keep the Mosaic Law? Do they have to keep some of the Mosaic Law? Do they have to keep part of the Mosaic Law? What, where, where, how does the law, the Old Testament Mosaic Law, this little section in the Old Testament where you have 613 commands, how does that apply to Gentile Christians getting into the church today? And here's their decision, okay? For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements from the Mosaic Law, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. So here's their decision. Dear Gentile Christians, you're not under any of the Mosaic law. They say that elsewhere, that it's a law that neither we nor our fathers were able to keep, but for the purposes of unity, stay away from these things that would be especially offensive to Jews. That's the idea, okay? Stay away from things that would be especially offensive to Jews. Jews would be overwhelmingly offended if you ate blood. They would be overwhelmingly offended if you ate meat sacrificed to idols. This isn't an absolute prohibition on some of these, right? Later on in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul will say there are times you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. But his point is evangelistic. His point is unity. He's saying you're not under the Mosaic Law, but because there are Jews in your congregation... Try to avoid the things that would offend Jews. It's the same thing we just saw with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians where he says, to the Jews, I will act like a Jew, though I know deep down I'm not really under the Mosaic law. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For everyone who believes, righteousness is found only in Christ, not Christ plus some of the law you have to keep. Galatians 3.24-25, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I'm going to end my lecture by talking about what this means because this is a very helpful analogy. The Apostle Paul basically is going to say this. The Mosaic Law was a babysitter. Is a babysitter bad? No. But when you become 30, for you to have a babysitter becomes ridiculous. 
Does that mean you get rid of all the rules the babysitter gave you, like not walking in the street when there's traffic? No, there's a lot of wisdom there, but you're no longer under the binding authority of that babysitter, okay? You've grown up. You've reached maturity. Now, what some will do is say that these verses simply say that we're not under the curse of the law. That's true, but that's not what these verses are saying. Others will say that we're not under the law for justification. That's also true, but that's not what these verses are saying. Still, others will say that we're not under the law in the mode of the old covenant. That's true, but that's not what these verses are saying. Here's what these verses are saying. If you are a Christian, you are no longer under the binding regulations for you to keep of the Old Testament Mosaic law, okay? Let me say it as strong as I can. You are not under the Ten Commandments as a Christian. That doesn't mean you can murder. We'll talk about that in a second. But you are not under the Ten Commandments as a Christian. You're not under the Mosaic Law. You're either under all of it or none of it. You're not under just parts of it, okay? So, what do we then do? Ready? Here we go. Lest you think you can go run out and commit adultery and murder, here we go. Are now under the jurisdiction of commands mentioned in the New Testament. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Which is the one that's not? Keeping of a Sabbath, right? Which the Apostle Paul will explicitly say that it's a matter of conscience. One man considers one day as holy, another man considers every day alike. Each should be fully convinced in their own mind, okay? So before I get into these passages, I want to just mention something real quick. The law of Christ is not what you think Christ is telling you in your mind, okay? That's not what it is. The law of Christ are the commands laid down in the New Testament by Christ himself or by the apostles, okay? By Christ himself or the apostles. Look at these passages. Lest you think you can just now do anything because I've said you're not under Mosaic law. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 21. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. We've already seen this, but I'm going to emphasize a different point. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Look at this next part. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So Paul here is saying the law of Christ is different than the Mosaic law. They're not the same. You can't say God gave these commands in the Old Testament and he gave these commands in the New, and because God gave them, they're the same. The Apostle Paul says that they are different, not because God is different, but because humanity is in a different era of redemptive history. Humanity has grown up. Your parents giving you a babysitter when you're a kid is great, but when you become an adult, they don't have to give you a babysitter. That doesn't mean their original decision was bad. That was great back then, but now that things have changed, the way the law applies to you has changed. So the Apostle Paul will say, you're not under the Mosaic law. That doesn't mean you can do whatever you want because you're still bound by the law of Christ. John 14, 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself in him. Okay? You have to keep Christ's commandments if you're really a Christian, if you really love him. 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If you say that you are a Christian, if you say that you love Jesus and you don't obey his commands, you do not walk in righteousness, one of you is lying, either God or you, okay? Either the Bible or you. That's what this text is going to say. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do you know whether or not somebody actually loves Jesus? Not by their emotion, not by their words, not by what they say, but whether or not they have a life change, whether or not they've submitted their life to Christ, whether or not their actions show it. A good tree bears good fruit. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Okay, that we are in him. So here's the example. We've used a bunch, especially as we've been going through the book of Romans. I'm going to mention it one more time just because it's such a helpful example. 
Imagine that you're driving down the road in Texas and the speed limit sign says 70 miles an hour. What's the speed limit sign? Are you allowed to go 100? No, okay. You're driving, it says 70, you're like, man, Texas is the best, Texas is so beautiful, we, we were once a republic, we could secede and probably actually survive, unlike most other states, yes, amen, Texas. That's how I drive. Every time I drive, that's just what I think to myself. And then you come up to this just wasteland called Oklahoma, right? And you cross the border of Oklahoma, and you've just, you haven't even noticed that you've crossed the border into Oklahoma. You've been, your eyes have been closed because you've been worshiping the glories of Texas, and you're driving through, and you look up, and you see a speed limit sign that says 70 miles an hour. You might assume that you're still in the promised land. You might assume that you're still in Texas because there was 70-mile-an-hour speed limit in Texas, and now there's another 70-mile-an-hour speed limit, okay? But are you under the jurisdiction of Texas? You are not. You're under the jurisdiction, assuming they have laws there, of Oklahoma, okay, of Oklahoma. I'm glad Lance Walker isn't here. He loves Oklahoma. Okay, so here's why I tell you this. When I say that you're not under the Mosaic law, you're not under the Ten Commandments, you might think, oh, great, now I can murder, or now I can commit adultery, or now I can steal. No, you can't. You still can't commit those things. But the reason why you can't commit those things is what has changed, okay? The reason why you can't commit them is not because they're bound in tablets of stone in the Old Testament. The reason you have to obey God's commands today is because you're under a new jurisdiction, you do it because the New Testament commands you not to murder. Jesus commands you not to murder, to turn the other cheek, to love your enemies, etc. Uh, the apostles command you not to murder in the New Testament, that any murderer shall not inherit eternal life, these kind of things. So don't think that just because a command is repeated in the New Testament, the reason that you follow that command is the same. The command is the same. Old Testament, don't murder. New Testament, don't murder. Okay? The command is the same. The reason you obey the command, that's what has changed. Speed limit in Texas, 70 miles an hour. Speed limit in Oklahoma, 70 miles an hour. You still have to drive 70 miles an hour, regardless. But the reason you drive 70 miles an hour has changed. That's what I'm saying. There are many commands you have to follow if you want to love and trust, or if you want to be a follower of Jesus. You trust him, you're seen as righteous by faith alone, and then that, that fruit of that righteousness evidences itself in righteous living. So don't think that when I say you're not under the Mosaic law or you're not under the Ten Commandments, you can do whatever you want. You have to follow the commands mentioned in the New Testament, and a lot of them look the exact same as they did in the Old Testament. What's changed is the reason you obey them. The jurisdiction of the state has changed, not what the particular rule is. Does that make sense? Everybody agree we're not going to go murder anybody today? Okay, just want to make sure. That's my big fear for you. Okay. Look at the next part of our definition here commands mentioned in the New Testament, it then says either explicitly or by logical implication, okay? Either explicitly or by logical implication. Let me explain what this means. <clears throat> you, it, okay, it's not the case that you can only do something if it's explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. Now, let's name some things that you couldn't do if that was the case. Yeah, use a computer or a cell phone. What else? Brush your teeth. That's a good one. Yes. There's a lot. Yeah rent, yeah, rent a car, breathe air. I mean, a lot, okay? It's not the case that you can only do something if it's explicitly mentioned in the Bible. It's the case that you can do anything unless it's forbidden in the Bible. Let me say that again. It's not the case that you can only do something if it's explicitly mentioned in the Bible. It's that you can do something unless it's forbidden by something in the Bible, either explicitly or by logical implication. So, so let me give you a phrase that uh, oftentimes people misuse. Something being unbiblical is different than it simply not being in the Bible, okay? Committing adultery is unbiblical. 
Driving a car is something that's simply not in the Bible. You'll hear people misuse those terms, right? I remember one time that uh, uh, there was a lady who was part of another church, and she was leaving to go to a better church. Uh, this, this wasn't at Parkway. This was at another church. She was leaving to go to a better church, and the pastor said to her, well, where is it in the Bible that says that you can go to a better church? And I'm like, uh, well, all these passages that tell you to pursue faithfulness, but you're using that, it's where is it in the Bible as if it's somehow forbidden or something like that. So no, something not being in the Bible, using uh, air conditioning, renting a bounce house, listening to a Walkman 15 years ago, whatever it is, that's different than something that is unbiblical, which is actually forbidden, okay? That is actually forbidden. Now, some sins not men- are not mentioned explicitly in Scripture. Anything that the Bible explicitly condemns, you cannot do. But other sins are condemned by logical implication, okay, by logical implication. So if the Bible were to say, thou shall not murder with a sword, does that then mean you could say, okay, well, I'm going to now murder with a gun because it doesn't say a gun? No, logically, the idea of murdering is what the text is trying to get you to avoid. So some sins are not mentioned explicitly in Scripture, but are still sinful because they are logically included under something that is said to be sin. What the Bible will do is this. It will give you an umbrella And it will say, do not commit things under this umbrella. And it's the job of you and community and your church and elders and theologians to try to figure out what fits under that umbrella. So what the Bible will say is the Bible will say, do not commit sexual immorality. It will not name every single possible act of sexual immorality. It'll say, do not commit sexual immorality, which in the Bible means something that is outside of a heterosexual monogamous marriage. And then everything else that could fit under that umbrella, homosexuality, pornography, adultery, fornication, whatever, those would all be condemned as well. Now, most of those things are also mentioned explicitly uh, as condemned in Scripture, but uh, that's how it works. So I'll give you two examples. Do you need a command that says, thou shall not smoke meth? Yes or no? Just to be clear, is that explicit command in Scripture? It's not. But does that mean you can smoke meth? No. Why? Why? Yes, because you are sub- that, that's one of the re- you are subject to other things the Bible would say. So when the Bible would say to submit to the governing authorities, you would be breaking the law if you smoke meth. When the Bible says not to get drunk because you don't have full capacity of your facilities, that would certainly apply to other drunkenness-like things, like illegal drug use, etc. Okay? So the Bible doesn't have to mention every little specific possible case of it. What the Bible will do is it will mention some things explicitly. Other things are forbidden because they're included by logical implication. The Bible doesn't have to name off every drug that would ever be invented. It has to say, in the same way that you shouldn't get drunk because you're not in control, don't do other things that would make you not in control of your faculties either. You with me? Let me give you another one. Does the Bible, do you need a command that says, thou shalt not walk up to a stranger and randomly punch them in the neck? Yes or no? You don't need that command. How do we know that that's forbidden? You're to love your neighbors. You're to turn the other cheek. Assaulting somebody is certainly something the Bible doesn't want you to do, okay? So you are bound by commands mentioned in the New Testament either explicitly or by proper logical implication, okay? Or by logical implication. Now, this is where the wisdom of the believing community has to come in when you're wrestling through what does and doesn't fall under certain commands by logical implication, okay? So uh, we'll have another lesson where we talk about ethics and some of these other things, which I think will be a lot of fun there. Okay, let's look at the next part of the definition. While no longer bound by Mosaic law, the Old Testament, again, the Mosaic law is just part of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is still Scripture, and commands related to loving God and others are still relevant for Christian morality today as they provide guiding principles, patterns, and wisdom for life and godliness. Okay, let me give a few clarifiers. First, we are not under the Mosaic law, but we are still under the Old Testament because it's Scripture. Scripture. 
The Mosaic Law is just one part of a much larger canon of books. The Old Testament as a whole tells us who God is. It tells us God's plan to redeem the world. It prophesies a Messiah. It explains how the world became uh, broken. It allows us to see God's heart for humanity, and it helps us see what loving God and others really means. For those reasons and many more, the Old Testament still has an important and enduring place in the life of the Christian, okay? So you might think, okay, we're bound by commands in the New Testament. We're in Oklahoma. I should have used the other example. You should have been in Oklahoma, and then Christ would have been Texas. That would have been better because the most, anyway, but okay, it's too late now. I've already said it. What I've written is written. Okay. So you might think because we're no longer bound by the Mosaic Law, we're just bound by the teaching of the apostles in Christ, although a lot of those look very similar to commands in the Old Testament. Maybe we should just get rid of the Old Testament. You should not do that, okay? The Old Testament is the Bible of the New Testament. The New Testament authors, the apostles, those churches don't actually have the New Testament yet. It's still being written. They're able to preach the gospel. They're able to talk about righteousness. They're able to do all of that just from the Old Testament, or as Jesus would have just called it, the Bible, okay? And so we don't need to throw out the Old Testament. The Old Testament is Scripture. It's God's Word. You're not under the Mosaic Law. You're definitely still under the Old Testament, okay? That, get, that it tells you who God is. It shows God's heart, things that he hates, things that he doesn't hate. It shows us wisdom. We're not necessarily bound by certain things, but it doesn't mean we just jettison them because there's still wisdom to be found in those things, okay? So I've given you a little step-by-step of how do we apply commands from the Mosaic Law or the Old Testament today, okay? I've given you a little step-by-step. Here's, here's what it is. The first question is this. Does this command relate to loving God and loving others today? Does this command relate to loving God and loving others today? Now, look at that last word, today. If you were in the Old Testament, you would say all of those commands relate to loving God and loving others, but you would not say so today. So if there's a command that says not to eat pork, would that be related to loving God or loving others today? No. If that's the case, you just don't have to keep it. But if you're not sure, let's look at the second rule here. If so, how should we apply this command in today's context? If so, how should we apply this command in today's context? So I've given you a few examples to make this a very difficult, complicated topic, hopefully as easy as possible. So let me give you a few examples. Deuteronomy 14.8 says this, And the pig, because it's parts, it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. So let's put that through the little test we've just given. One, would that be related to loving God and loving others today? No. So feel free to eat all the bacon you want within measure of stewarding your body, but all the bacon you want, and feel free to wear, I guess, all the pig leather because it says that you're not to touch their skin, that you want, okay? Let's look at this next one. Leviticus 19.27, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Uh Uh-oh. see a lot of men with smooth faces in here, okay? Does that relate to loving God or loving others today? No. Okay, you're not bound by Old Testament Mosaic law. It's not as though God loves beardies more than smoothies or he loves smoothies more than beardies. He loves them equally, okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Let's look at the next one. Okay, so now consider these. So we've just seen some that wouldn't apply today really much at all. But let's look at some others that would specifically relate to loving God and loving others today. So let's look at this one. Leviticus 19.14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord, okay? Now, does that relate to loving God or loving others today? Yes, it does, okay? Yes, it does. How are some ways that you might apply this command today in today's context? Give me some examples. Yeah, help help those who have some sort of disability. 
Yeah, help those who have some sort of disability. What else? Not trip blind people. That's a very practical application for today. Not to uh, insult uh, those who have handicaps. That's the idea of cursing the deaf. They can't hear it, but God hears it. That's kind of the idea. What's another one? Uh, I think that could be more of a, maybe a spiritual uh, application of that. I think this one is just talking about the, the practical of loving others. But yeah, there's a sense in which uh, you don't want somebody to spiritually stumble. I think that's more of a metaphorical meaning of the, uh, of the stumble. Treat others the way you like to be treated. Does that sound like anything like in the New Testament? Okay, let's look at the next one. Leviticus 19.4. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Are you allowed today to bow down to metal statues? Does this command have to do with loving God or loving others? Yes, it does. It has to do with loving God. Okay? So what, should, what are some examples of how we would apply this today then? Uh, I would say don't worship statues of Jesus. That might be a better one. There's a debate within Protestantism of whether or not how, how far art can go before it becomes idolatry. But I would say the, the purpose of this is not to commit idolatry. Okay? So here's how this command would apply today. Yes, don't obviously make a statue and bow down to it. But also, don't love anything more than God. Don't have idols. Most of our idols today, by the way, are mental. They're not metal. And so don't love anything more than God. Don't love uh, money more than God, sex more than God, your job more than God, your spouse or kids more than God, etc. But you're to love God the most. So this is a command that relates to loving God because it's saying don't commit idolatry. So the way we would apply it today is don't commit any type of idolatry. Don't commit any type of idolatry, okay? Exodus 21, 29. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. Is this a command related to loving God and loving others? Yes, it is. How would we then apply it to today? Yes, fence, if you have a dog that attacks and you know that it attacks and you don't put up a fence and it mauls some kid, you're responsible. Okay? What this text is saying is it's saying you should avoid sins of negligence. Things where you should have known better, and a reasonable, per reasonable person would have done this, but you just didn't. You just thought, oh, I'm not going to deal with it. I don't want to have to pay for another fence or whatever it is, and the Bible's going to say, you're culpable. You're culpable. There's all kinds of implications on this one for other legal issues, okay, that you're not only guilty for sins that you're intentionally committing, but if you know that you have something that could hurt somebody else, you have a pool in your backyard, and it has no fence, and there are little kids, and a little kid wanders into your yard and falls into your pool when you knew that you should have had a fence, you're culpable for that. Okay? So basically, those are the two steps. When you're reading the Mosaic Law, you should say, is this related to loving God and loving others? And if so, what would that look like in today's context? What would it look like in today's context? Okay? The command might be something about putting a railing around a building so someone doesn't fall off, and you might think, okay, what safety precautions do I need to take as I'm building this building or this home or whatever to make sure a little kid doesn't get hurt, whatever it might be? But again, here's all you have to remember. Love God and love others. That's why the New Testament will summarize all the Mosaic Law. If you're basically thinking through those paradigms, you're going to naturally do these things. You're going to naturally do these things. Don't throw out the wisdom of the Mosaic Law just because you're no longer under its jurisdiction. If you drove into Oklahoma, are you then going to throw out all the greatness of Texas? Are you going to throw out all the wisdom of the laws of Texas, all our rich history, all our gun ownership rights, all of that? No. No, because it's Texas, right? It's ordained by God, and so therefore it's good. 
In the same way, the Mosaic Law gives us wisdom on a lot of contemporary issues. Now, let me tell you something. Right now, there's a, a huge divide socially and politically uh, over a lot of issues. And the reason that people are so divided most of the time is I think that Christ, the reason so many Christians are divided uh, is because I think that they don't know what the Bible says on a lot of these issues because they're mentioned in the Old Testament and we just don't know our Old Testament very well. So let me just mention some of these things as a teaser to encourage you to read your Old Testament. The Mosaic Law deals with what does and does not count as sexual assault. Could that be helpful in today's culture with everything that's going on to know what does and doesn't count as sexual, consult, or, uh, sexual assault? What's consensual versus what is not? The Mosaic Law deals with how to assess false allegations of sexual assault, like Potiphar's wife. The Mosaic Law deals with what a just society should look like. What does a just society look like? Everybody wants justice, but people define it in two opposite ways. How does the Bible define justice? The Old Testament deals with how we should think of the poor, the difference between someone who is poor due to no fault of their own, what we call righteous poor, versus someone who is poor due to their own unrighteous decisions. By the way, there's no such thing as just the rich or the poor. There's righteous rich and unrighteous rich, and there's righteous poor and unrighteous poor. Neither group is intrinsically bad. There are people who've gotten their wealth through unjust means, and there are people who've gotten it through just means. There are people who are in poverty due to no fault of their own. They just got cancer, or they got sick, or got hit by a car, whatever it was. And then there's people that are poor because of bad decisions, okay? And so the Bible will help you distinguish what those differences are. The law talks about how not to show partiality to anyone for any reason in court, okay? We have a tendency to think that if somebody has been beat down in the past, when it comes, they come to court, they come to some sort of trial thing, we should boost them up a little bit because they've been beaten down. The Bible will say you don't give deference to either side. You don't give deference to the rich, you don't give deference to the poor. You don't give deference to men, you don't give deference to women. What, what justice is in the Bible is, are you carrying out the law in this one particular moment? The law lays out clear lines of how we should think of marriage and sexual ethics. The law lays out how we should think of issues such as capital punishment. The law lays out how we should think about raising our kids. The law lays out what loving your neighbor actually looks like, okay? What it actually looks like. So, to end, before I have Jeff come up and uh, answer some, uh, some questions, let me give you the best illustration I can of the law, and it's not my illustration, it's the Apostle Paul's illustration, okay? In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul calls the law, in Greek, a pedagogos, okay? A pedagogos. What is a pedagogos? In the Roman world, and this was also true in the Greek world, if you were a wealthy family, if you were a well-to-do family, you typically wouldn't be the one to spend time with your kids all day, okay? In fact, actually, Roman women were notorious for not being great mothers. And so what you would do is you would have this guardian slash bodyguard slash teacher, and it was like this glorified babysitter, okay? It's called a pedagogos. The pedagogos would be the one who taught your kids you know, math and writing and reading and these kind of things. The pedagogos would go with your kids when they went to play with other people to make sure that they didn't get abducted or they didn't hurt, get hurt. The pedagogos would discipline the kid if, it, if uh, the kid was acting up. It was basically a full-time slave live-in nanny, and that is what a pedagogos is, okay? What the Apostle Paul says in Galatians is that that is what the Mosaic Law was. The Mosaic Law was a tutor or a babysitter, or a pedagogos, or a guardian, you'll hear these different phrases used, to lead us to Christ, okay? To lead us to Christ. Now, let me ask you some questions. Let's say you had a pedagogos. You're a little four-year-old boy. You're growing up in the Roman world, and you have this slave that's an adult who's over you in authority and shows you how to do things, make sure that you stay safe, teaches you reading, writing, and arithmetic, all these other kind of things, and then one day you grow up. You become an adult, okay? Do you still need the babysitter? 
No. No. Let me ask some other questions. Does this mean the babysitter was ever bad? No, the babysitter was great, but the babysitter was there for a time. Does it mean your parents gave you something that was bad? No, your parents gave you something good for that time. Within that period of redemptive history slash your life, as a little kid, that's exactly what you needed. Have some of the rules changed now that you no longer have the babysitter? Yes, you used to be able, uh, or used to not be able to cross the street by yourself, and you had to go to bed at 8 p.m., but now you can cross the street by yourself, and you can stay up as late as you want, all right, because you're a grown-up. I can stay up. No one's telling me when to go to bed. What's ironic is finally when you're old enough to actually decide when you should go to bed, that's when you're always so exhausted that that's all you want to do. That's all you want to do. Would it be bad to try to have a babysitter now that you're an adult? Yes. If you go into McDonald's and you see me and some babysitter and I'm like playing in the ball pit, you call 911 right then. Like right then you call 911. It's super weird. There's a, there's a sense in which a babysitter's not bad, but once you've reached a level of maturity, going back to the babysitter is super weird. That's how the Apostle Paul will talk about the law. Now that you're free in Christ and you're already perfect because he's kept all the law, why would you reject his righteousness and you try to do a little bit of it on your own? It doesn't make any sense. Would it be bad to try to have a babysitter? I don't just read that. Next. Did the babysitter change or did your parents change? No. God is unchanging, okay? But you changed, and as you got older, you moved into a different era than you were in before. It's not that God has changed. It's that God's people throughout redemptive history are now in a new level of redemptive history. Things have changed with the New Testament. The church is just made up of believers, where in the Old Testament, the community of God was believers and unbelievers, okay? We now do baptism instead of circumcision. A lot of different things have changed. The people of God are no longer just an ethnic people or Gentiles that wanted to become those ethnic people and had to keep the Mosaic law. God's people are now Jew and Gentile. There is some newness. Jesus brings some, quote, new wines that don't fit into old wineskins. Okay, there is some newness there. Did sometimes the babysitter have to discipline you because you broke the rules? Yes, that was part of the Old Testament Mosaic law. To keep God's people holy when they didn't want to be, there were punishments under the Mosaic law because God loves his people. Did the babysitter, here's the last one that I think is really important. Did the babysitter teach you helpful things that you still use today even though you're not under her or his direct authority? Yes, okay? When I was a kid, I had a babysitter. Her name was Courtney, and there were certain things she wouldn't would not allow me to do, okay? I was not allowed, for example, just to run out in the street when the car is coming. Now, I'm no longer under the babysitter. Does that mean I just jump in traffic? You might think so based on some of the things you've heard me say. No, I don't just jump in traffic because there's still wisdom that I've learned and retained from that babysitter that is useful for today. It's the same way with the Old Testament. So just to summarize, the Old Testament is still God's word. The God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament. God does not change. God's law was not bad. It was just bad for you and me because we can't keep it, okay? Now that Christ has come, he has fulfilled all of that on your behalf. So you are no longer under the Old Testament Mosaic Law. You're no longer under those 613 commands about doing this and not doing that. You're still under commands mentioned by Christ and the apostles, and most of those look the same as the Old Testament because that's where they get them, okay? But the reason that you obey them is what has changed. You follow them because you know and love Christ, not because you're bound under tablets of stone. You follow them because you have the Spirit, not because that they are uh, letters of the law. And so that's how it has changed today. There's still wisdom in the Old Testament. Use it. Read it. 
Uh, I've started reading again uh, parts of the Old Testament in light of all the social and ethical issues that are going on in our society, and I have been floored on how much we have missed because God gives us a lot of wisdom there that could be very applicable today. So, Jeffrey, come up here and answer everybody's questions about Mosaic Law. We're going to do a little Q&A. As a constant reminder, if you're serving in preschool and whenever you need to leave, you leave. But other than that, questions.